Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. What is even the point of view? Okay, I got it. Hang on, I'm I'm switching gears. I'm switching gears. I'm com- I'm coming in. Oh, you, you've I'm, got something. You've in. got something that you in. need to talk about. No, no, I don't. I don't. Do I? Wait, do I? I don't know. When you said you're bringing it in, I thought. No, I'm trying to bring my. I'm trying. I'm. I'm trying. I'm getting. Normally, I take a few minutes and write down some notes and think through things before the show starts, in order to get into the correct headspace. This is not interesting to anyone. It is to me. Uh, I do a little bit of you know. I, I make sure. That I'm coming in focused and have put aside the things that call upon my attention. Because here's the thing, Amos, when I'm on the show, I'm on the show. Right. And when I and when you talk, I listen. And I don't just listen, I listen. I didn't know that I got to talk on the show. <laughs> okay. You know, when you say things like that, it's hurtful. <sighs> I'm sorry, okay? I don't mean to be hurtful. I don't mean to be hurtful. <laughs> So yeah, so when I when I'm doing my prep, I am you know trying to get my head ready for the show, and I've not had a chance to do that today, and thus we are having this conversation. Well, then let's talk about prep then, right? Like, so how do you how do you get ready? You know, you for the show, for uh, a new ticket that you're working on, for um, when somebody puts in an S one ticket that shouldn't be an S one. How do you how do you prepare to deal with these things? Oh, and it's different for every. It's different for every problem, right? If there is a thing, uh, okay. How do we talk about? It? How do we? How do we discuss this in a cogent manner? This is not interesting. It is to me. Um, like I, I have a lot of steps that I, I go through for like preparing to write code, preparing for my day, uh, for everything except for preparing for the podcast. For the podcast, my prep is put my headphones on and see what happens. <laughs> See, that, that sounds more fun. I, um, most of my preparation is non-intentional and is mostly reflexive. Does that just come with time and, and practice? It's like waking up from a bad dream. <laughs> you know, somebody's shaking you out of, out of a bad dream. I'm just, I'm just reacting, <laughs> you know, uh, completely reflexive in, in terms of shifting focuses and that sort of stuff. I'm not saying this is good or bad. This is just, this is how right. it is. Uh, I listen, uh, I'd make it different if I could, but I, well, but I cannot, this is the brain that I was, that I was, I am only well, as God made why me, Why would sir. you make it different? Like, oh, I mean, I think it being more intentional and thoughtful generally has led me to better results anecdotally anyway. So I have some, I have some amount of empirical evidence to say that being more thoughtful is useful, <laughs> but, but yeah, so for, in terms of preparation for the show, I, yeah, I want to show up and uh, have a good headspace and be ready to talk and not be engaged with uh, work stuff or anything else. I want to be present and not distracted. And so I take a few moments to gather myself and gather my thoughts. And uh, and yeah, that's typically how I do that. Uh, did not work out. The today, distraction thing, turns out. admittedly, is hard for me. And the the whole like not working while we do the show is was really hard so now i turn my phone upside down and put it on do not disturb and mm-hmm. i put um i put the computer on do not disturb 
And then I also have found out that I need to put audio hijack full screened over top of Slack. Oh, yeah. No, I just turn Slack off. Yeah, I don't turn it off. I should. I should just turn it off. I mean, you just close all well, the tabs. The way that Slack has close been performing lately, I am nervous that if I shut Slack off, that it'll never come back on. Well, it may never, it may never <laughs> that's, come back. That's right. Yeah. It's Schrodinger Slack. <laughs> you don't know if it's, if you, if, if, if you're not looking at it, you don't know if it's dead or alive. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's only the, only the work slack, right? That's the only one that I'm worried about. Uh, any, any other parts of slack are just, uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. This gets back to the thing I told you last week, which I think you need to stop letting noise live rent free. I your head. unsubscribed from, I'm from, so you know, Proud of Elixir you. GitHub. I've never been more proud of you. Right. I've literally never been I, more proud I'm of you. Like, uh, I, I'm a perpetual unsubscriber. Like when you know when you order something and then suddenly they start sending you like advertisement emails. I unsubscribe from everything, but the Elixir GitHub account I subscribe to on purpose, and I think that it had a it, it had a purpose at the time, and I read a lot of them. But you're right, it was starting to fill up, and and I wasn't reading it anymore. At the time, it was part of a learning tool for me and to see what was going on. But you you convinced me. You convinced me last week that I needed to take a step back from that. And I still am am on the Elixir Lang listserv where they they propose things. Uh, I like that. It's a lot less noise, too. So I, I did unsubscribe from the GitHub fire hose of Elixir Lang issues and pull requests. Good. Good. See, and, and now all of a sudden, like you, you just freed up so much mental space. Well, and then I tried to fill it with other things. <laughs> There's so much, so much, so many, so much room for activities in here now. Yeah. I wish that I had some rooms, maybe like a racquetball court in my head would be nice. Something that's big and open and has no furniture. Yeah. Echoes a lot. Yeah. Really annoying. You get in there and you talk and you sound all weird. <laughs> yeah, it's just filled with a bunch of old white dudes in short shorts. <laughs> it's. I mean, if that's what you want in your head, that's fine with me. Like, I, I don't. I'm not here to yuck so, your gum. Sounds like a, uh, a SoCal or maybe a Connecticut programming meetup. A bunch of white dudes. I was gonna say it's it's, it's it's you know yeah yeah for sure. Summer, summertime here in Rhode Island. <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's a, uh, or, or it's like, you know, uh, South Carolina prep school. It's, it's a lot of like khakis and, uh, what are the, what are those dock, dock, dock shoes, those like boat shoes? No, 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 The boat shoes, like oh, the top siders oh, yeah. or whatever those are called. Yeah. And like a lot of pastel polo shirts. Let's see. How many, uh, how many other, uh, states can we, and listeners, can we offend with this? I don't know. Let's go for it. Uh, <clears throat> what do you got? I, I, I got nothing. I don't want to offend any more people. I've done enough. <laughs> I was going to talk like about people those... who went to college in Arkansas, but I also don't want to offend my co-host here. <laughs> you would just fine. You can. Perf- I listen. You would not be the first one on this call to judge their <laughs> to judge their education. Okay. <laughs> uh. That's, that's, that's all right. Funny. I didn't. I went to college just up above you in Missouri and pretty south in Missouri. So it's it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> you know, Mark Twain said, "Don't ever let your schooling get in the way of your education." 
It's either Mark Twain or Neil deGrasse Tyson. One of those two <laughs> people those said two. that. From from whence all quotes came. <laughs> you, did you know that like like most quotes that get attributed to Mark Twain are not really Mark Twain quotes? He just like has quotes attributed to him. There are like people I like heard that, that he has that a quote have, about that. <laughs> that like quotes attributed to to random people. That's like a phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah. Okay, that's the takeaway. So- Don't let your schooling <laughs> get in the way of your education. That's a that's a really that's a that's one of those real uh, turns out you know proverbs. Don't let your schooling get in the way of your education. Yeah, think about it. Oh yeah, the, the deeper it goes, so yeah, it really is uh, life changing. Malcolm Gladwell could write at least three books <laughs> on that one line. That's true. Um, so what do you do? Uh, I okay. I want to go back to the original conversation. We tangented it enough. S- What's what? Oh, getting ready to do so to work on something. Oh, to work on a project or or I don't uh, know. just a ticket. It anything. depends. Is there anything um, that you do consistently? Drink coffee for the most part. Well, you, I mean, you got to get that caffeine in there so that you can you can yeah. wake up the senses. Uh, sleep. Sleep is good. N- napping. Um. Yeah, I typically sit at my desk. I don't know. What do you want from I, me I'm, here? I'm curious. <laughs> so, so I'm sh- this is not interesting. Uh, it, it is to me, like because I don't have any formal anything um, with that sort of stuff. And even my so-called prep for this show is not like I'm not intentionally like going through my like list. It's more just like looking over topic ideas that I've had mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, oh, we could talk about this or that or whatever. You know, those sorts of things. I look at the Google Doc that you never look at. I didn't know. Then, I still didn't. I still don't know where that Google Doc is. We have a Google I know, Doc. I don't know where it is. Anyway, so I start doing that. But you know, I mean, I don't have a formal methodology for any of uh, for for general work stuff. Um, it's very con- contextual, and I I don't know. I guess I I suppose you could say uh, the ersatz system that I have for for getting work done is like ask a lot of questions and then sit and do the necessary research to figure out what the problem is and then start working through it. I don't know. No, I, I think none of that is formalized though. Well, I don't know that it has to be formal. Like I do different things every day and it, it kind of depends on the headspace that I am when, when the thing hits my plate, you know, sometimes if I'm already working on something similar, I don't, I don't need much prep. I just read the ticket and start running. Right. But other times it's like I need to go on a walk or I'll write down some questions. Um, that really helps me to write down questions, I guess, to do the uh, where the, I just blanked out on what that's called. The um, where you were you Socratic. Socratic method. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, Socrates. Thanks, Socrates. Yeah. So, yeah, like those kind of things really help Mark me. Twain invented Mark that. Mark Twain too. invented the Socratic method. Yeah, he invented. Yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all good things yeah. come from it's, Missouri. It often gets attributed to Socrates, <laughs> but I think that's that's uh, been misappropriated throughout Probably. the years. Probably. <laughs> um, yeah, I and and sometimes I put those questions on the ticket too, just in case somebody else comes along and needs to pick it up. And I've been mm-hmm. told sometimes that's really helpful, and sometimes it's distracting. So. It's curious to me what other people do to prepare. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't have a. I don't have a good methodology at all. 
at all. Um, I should. I should work on that at some point. But yeah, I do not. Um, and right now, I mean, I'm just my like. Any methodologies I did have that I cling to, those have uh, they're they're sort of. Uh, tossed tossed into the into the ocean of nonsense just like any other floatsome and jetsome like just like strewn about in my in my brain at the moment so i don't have a lot of things that i like cling to right now in terms of uh process the bulwarks against madness are no longer bulwarking <laughs> so do you have they're bull broken do you have any uh processes not not like your team but like just you that you go through on anything when you're working when i'm working no i mean i want to say i want to make this conversation super interesting but i don't i don't have anything and that's the problem is like i don't have uh i mean i guess like yeah no i don't have a lot of like formalized anything i i've fallen into some specific rhythms with work uh work stuff specifically and it's largely because at this point I've been at BR long enough that I understand where things should go. I have a pretty well-defined design sense. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, and you develop a you develop certain sensibilities doing this long enough. And so I have a pretty well-defined design sense. I've used Elixir for a long enough time period very aggressively, like using it every day thinking about it all the time, thinking about, you know, trying to look at my designs and look at other people's designs and and work through those and to some degree be very highly critical of those things and figure out better ways to do stuff so that I have a pretty good sense of design ethos with Elixir. So a lot of it is mechanical and I have a rhythm of sort of like, here's how I'm going to like get through this problem and then here's how I'm going to finalize that and get it in order to be published. So you've pushed hard enough at the beginning that you've internalized a lot of things. So you don't have to have as much prep work now. Yeah. But I also don't know that any of my design stuff's is good. And most of the time it seems to run pretty counter to what everybody else thinks is good. It's, and I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you what you meant, but now I won't. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not sure if I'm not, I'm not sure if you know if everyone else is if I'm a genius or a complete idiot, you know. And and it's not really necessarily one of those two things. It may be both. That's the real. You know, it's like trying to pick up the tweezers with the tweezers. Like I'm not exactly sure. If uh, any of this is is uh, is good, any of the sort of design ideas that I put into a lot of the code that I work on, I'm not sure if any of those are good. You're not sure if any of uh, them are good. No, I mean, really, be, uh, part of it's because uh, you run out at some level of of <sighs> a lot of the work I do. I'm working on it by myself, man. Like I'm just doing it. I don't get a ton of like really critical feedback. So it's a lonely life being Chris Keithley. It is a it's a it's a lonely life up here in this brain. <sighs> I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it's uh when- it's I don't get a ton of when people well, it's a couple of things. One is like people don't really use a lot of the libraries that I work mm-hmm. on. Like not, not like in mass. And 
uh, I'm ha really happy when people do use that stuff and find it useful. Um, but I don't get a lot of like design pushback. Mm -hmm. Like this ought to be this way or that way. And, uh, and that's fine. That's not a problem. I'm not expecting people to supply that to me, but it's, it is interesting that, you know, um, I think if you do that for long enough, you can, you know, you, you can develop bad habits. I'm very, I'm very conscientious of the fact that if you aren't receiving any sort of like negative feedback, I mean, not negative, negative, like not like tearing you down or something, but I mean, like if no one's challenging you on your preconceived notions, that's a really quick way to uh, lose your sense to, to start to stagnate. That's a really, really quick way to start to stagnate because you're going to cease to develop new skills. You're going to cease to, to grow. Um, and I think being uncomfortable is really important in this job. Like being uncomfortable with your own designs, uh, needing to like defend those to some degree. Um, that's a really important thing uh, in in this industry because you can't, you're not going to get to do the same thing forever. Mm -hmm. Like this industry moves too quickly for you to do the same thing for the next 20 years. And, and I mean, at least for me, like, I don't want to do the same thing for the next 20 years. Like, I don't want, I want to continue to grow and develop my own skills. So I think that there's a, yeah, you need to be challenged by that stuff, which necessarily means that you're going to have to seek out some of that feedback. Um, and, and by and large, a lot of my stuff doesn't get that, that level. It gets like the cursory level that I've come to expect from the Elixir community, which is like, why did you build this? You've hurt the community. Like every time I write a library, <laughs> but uh, literally every time I've gotten somebody who said, you shouldn't have done this. Just, this is detracting from what the core team is doing. Uh, literally every wow. library. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten an email or a DM or something that tells me that I'm a well, bad person for having put something into the world. Those, those but, aren't like that constructive right, <laughs> at all. No, no, no. But I mean, that's what I'm saying. Set, the setting aside that, right, which is like basically the main source of feedback that I get uh is i don't get and, i mean and again also disregarding the the very positive i mean when people do say stuff that's positive it's super super nice and like you know that that's a that's amazing uh not to discredit those people but in terms of the design feedback i don't think people are looking to provide that kind of stuff they don't provide that sort of commentary on 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 you know how, on the things how do you on. how do you seek that out though I don't even know. I mean, it's something I've been thinking about and sort of wrestling with a lot recently. I think you, you know, it's, it's like you need a culture of that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. And if you've, I think it's, it's interesting. I think if you, if your company starts to become very tactically oriented, meaning like everyone is just making the smallest changes possible in order to get anything done there's no overall design improvement that's taking place. Everything's just tactical decision-making. And that becomes the culture and that becomes rewarded, which is, I think, true of a lot mm -hmm. of companies. Like getting stuff done is what gets rewarded. Then the where you can end up is everyone's constantly making tactical decisions and 
you stop talking about those bigger, you stop challenging bigger notions about strategic thinking because it takes too much time. Like doing strategic thinking is time consuming because you need to talk to people. And probably internalize your own opinions because yeah. you're, mm-hmm. you're going to either, you, you need to know what your opinions are so that you can hear other people's in a constructive, useful manner. Yeah. And I mean, that's an important thing to learn no matter what, like learning how to take criticism and learning how to give good criticism is like, those are important skills. You need to learn how to do that. And, and yeah, so I think it's a, it's an interesting thing that I've seen in a lot of companies like that. You have eventually slide so deep into tactical thinking mode that people just stop challenging bad design ideas because it takes too much time to coordinate those sorts of discussions and to get through them. And, you know, at some level, doing the thing that works that you know works and can get the problem done today as opposed to, you know, some at some point in the future. It's like you're not going to risk your uh, you're not going to risk your political cachet by taking more time. So how can we get that built in in the community or in our work? Well, I think in work, you, you just have to have a culture of, you know, strategic thinking. Or at least, you know, let's say 15%, like 15% of your time should be strategic. Um, And if it's constantly just tactical decision making, like, you know, you're never going to course correct. Mm -hmm. And And the longer it takes for you to change your focus, the harder it's going to be to recalibrate. You reach a tipping point where you slide so far over the edge that now you are in this position where you've got to really... You know, where the, the, the time expenditure now needs to shift because you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're handcuffed into certain ways of programming, right? If you develop, so every time you write, you add some more technical debt, if, if that's a term. Uh, every time you make a tactical decision that adds more complexity to the system, eventually that system sort of strangles you and you've got to. You have to develop, you have to dedicate more time to strategic thinking. Like something I've been thinking about a lot is I, I think if you if you walk away from any given change and you didn't make the, de- the design slightly better as part of that change, you're probably doing it wrong. Like any any new thing you add, you should be doing about like 10% design improvement. And just make it constant. Just like make it part of the thing. Make it part of the the task. That you're, that you're taking part in. So I think that that's the right math. <laughs> is this, this is anecdotal. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it took purely anecdotal, but, but what I'm, I'm hearing from you is that we need to make sure that there is a constant level of attempting to think about and improve our overall architecture and design of our system. Yes, absolutely. Are there questions possibly that you can, you can go, let's go back to the Socratic method. Are there questions that you can ask yourself when you're looking at a design that, that help other than, is this right? I mean, I think that's a good place to start, but. Yeah, I think, I don't know about questions, although I think these are kind of questions. I think some of the stuff that I have been looking at it, you know, some of the stuff that I'm trying to key off of now are more like red flags. Mm-hmm. Are there multiple modules that share the same function name? Okay, well, that's like 
an interesting red flag. Uh, and, and the red flag there is like the, the red flag might indicate that you have some other layer of abstraction that's needed or you, or you need to collapse two layers of abstraction into one mm-hmm. or, you know, it's, it's, if you have almost identical looking interfaces spread across modules, that is an indication that something's wrong <laughs> in the system. So, I mean, I- and I don't mean like behaviors. I don't mean I don't mean, you know, behaviors or or something like that. I don't mean like just looking at you know handle right, call right. and being like, there's too many of these. I mean like if you have if if you have a module that has a public interface to it, right, a bunch of public functions, and it calls into a module beneath it that also has identically named functions, that's an indication that those layers don't need to exist. Like the- when you're you're just passing things down. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Or and then that's another one is like if you've got a module that mostly just delegates to other things that 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 uh, that's a huge red flag. You should delete one of those two things like you don't need one of those so, two things and you will reduce overall complexity by removing one of them or rather the the real the better step is to think about why you have these two things and if you can make the thing below you more generic mm-hmm. so that it can be reused in other, in other situations. And, and, and that also gets tricky, right? You want an interface that's somewhat reusable. You don't want an interface that's like maximally reusable. So when, when you first started talking about this and saying that uh, this, this one example, right, this is just an example of one type of thing, but you said when you have two things that have the same function name, Mm-hmm. And probably arguments. I'm going to take arguments as part of that. Yeah. So does I, I think the questions that I would ask myself when I when I run into this is one is are they just delegating right? If they're just delegating and not doing any process before the delegation, then they might be worthless. Probably are. Should I have a protocol? Because protocols are kind of that, or do, or are those a? Uh, do you think those are a design problem, or like you said, I'm looking to find an abstraction that, that might be missing. Yeah. I mean, I think most of the time you're, you're, you really are trying to find the abstraction that that's missing. Like it's an indication that those two things have been split incorrectly. So would you say the same thing if you saw a protocol in a, in, in a piece of software? No, 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 no. I mean, I, that's like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think like, you know, setting aside stuff like protocols, stuff like behavior, okay. which are intentionally designed to build open systems that are, well, behaviors are not, intended to for extension right they're intended to you know encapsulate some sort of what i say say behavior right so a a a common set of uh of functions that all have the same similar behavior so are they they're defining it are they defining an api then yeah you know that's that's more that sort of thing um i'm trying to think of like a really good example for this i mean honestly like i think you see it a lot in um like phoenix contexts Mm -hmm. You know, you have like a controller action, which takes some stuff in. Then you call immediately into your context, which calls into some Ecto model thing that does effectively. It has like the same function names. And, you know, I don't know. It's like all that stuff to me, that stuff is split super wrong mm-hmm. in, in my mind. And 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 you see it in when people are trying to build their systems in layers, but haven't quite got the layers right. 
you know, you immediately delegate into the context thing, which calls a function on a HTTP client, which has the exact same name as the function that you just called, but you're hiding the HTTP part behind this context module. Oh, and or something, something along those lines, which, which indicates that like something there is wrong and probably you want to make that HTTP thing more generic. Right. And have just a much more generic, uh, you know, interface that then you can reuse inside of all your contexts or whatever it is. And that's where your 10, 15, 20% of your time is spent is trying to figure out that those solutions. Right. And, and removing them or changing them or adapting them as need be and, uh, and, and making the system better overall and better is super subjective. Like better is, you know, there's no quantifiable better. (laughs) Um, That's the other thing that makes this really hard is better is better for you and your team and the things that you have agreed on and the things that you value as part of you of your you know your 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 comp- your team zeitgeist <laughs> you know and, and to some degree too idioms are important idioms are important like, like yeah well like a lot of times what ends up happening is that you get into a design and you realize like, okay, every time we want to, every time we want a new widget, we, here's the 10 steps you go through to make the new widget, right? You add this, you extend the application by adding these 10 things, and then it will add a new widget. And those 10 things, we've all agreed that those 10 things kind of suck, but everything uses those 10 things. Now you have, a, you, you're new to the team. You have, you need to add widget number 11, and you have to go through these 10 steps and you think, ah, this really sucks. I don't want to go through these 10 steps. These 10 steps are, are annoying. So I will redesign the thing such that I don't have to do that. But if where you land on this is that your 11th widget, all it does is presents a new design and deviates from the existing set of idioms, you've actually just made every part of the design worse. Because now... It's not only do you have 10 steps, but on rare occasions, you have this other thing that does that has five steps that are totally different, but might use some of the same functionality and kind of do some of the same stuff. So everything about the design just got worse because you decided to deviate because you were clever and decided to deviate from the idiom. So a design improvement only helps if you actually do the whole thing, which means that if you want to eliminate 10 steps, you need to eliminate 10 steps for every widget. For everything that you've added, you need to improve their designs materially across the board. And you need to figure out where the correct layers are in the system. And adding some new clever thing, but not changing the old thing, is actually just worse. It's it's You've made the system worse overall instead of better. There is no such thing as like, we're going to add this and then like iteratively move to the new thing. No, you've, a ton, you've 100% made the design worse uh, in that moment. You have to, any design improvement you do has to be the end game. It needs to come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. And that conclusion doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be earth shattering, but it does need to conclude, right? Like you can't leave a design problem open-ended for someone else to solve down the line. Because now you've disrupted the status quo of the application. I think I'm hearing you and and I'm thinking back of my my past and and working on with teams and I I'm torn, right? Because I feel like that people have great ideas to improve, 
but then they're like exhausted mm-hmm. to do it because they have to fix it in 10, 50 places in order right. to, so then they, so exactly. then it, it doesn't change. Um, so in the past I've worked with like an idea of you have current architecture, old architecture and new architecture all in a system at the same time. And it does, it's exhausting because then you have to switch context depending on what part of the system you're in. And then like, well, I don't really want to fix this to the new architecture because I'm just trying to do this tactical thing of change this one little piece. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. So then you end up with the new, new architecture, the new architecture, the current architecture, the old architecture, the ancient architecture, and, and everything becomes, uh, you're like an archeologist at that point. Anytime that you need to do anything, you need to figure out which, what this tool is for and how to use it. Right. But I mean, part, a huge part of that is because no one could follow through. I mean, it's, it's again, like th- these ideas are predicated on the thing I said up front, which is like 10 to 15% of your time, every time needs to be making the design mm-hmm. better. So like you only end up in that situation where you have so many things that all need 10 steps to like go through where it's impossible to change it because it would just, it just takes so much time by essentially ignoring that 10 to 15% of the time. So from the very beginning, you need to be doing that 10 like, to no, 15. That's what I'm saying. Day mm-hmm. one, you should be doing 10 to 15% of your time should be improving. If I could hug you, I would right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I think, again, but I mean, it's more fun to install Istio, I guess. I don't know. So like, the you know, that's the, that's the problem with programmers. Programmers are all, you know, selfish, spoiled brats. Like, like you need to take the time to actually go about, you know, to, to do the stuff that's going to like meaningfully improve your application and your systems, you know, overall design so that people can always work on that stuff and everyone has to do it. And you need to make that your culture. You need to squash out the culture of just completely tactical thinking. And I mean, and, and I will say too, like idioms won't save you idioms for idioms sake aren't good and patterns for patterns sake aren't good, but you don't want, if you have established design idioms, you don't want to deviate from them simply because you come up with a new, interesting, good idea. That is not helpful. So that's the bigger, that's the bigger picture there. You need to, you have to, if you have idioms that are established in order to change those idioms, you have to change them completely. You cannot leave the old ones and add. So new let's ones. say that you do see something that's bigger that you think needs to change, mm-hmm. but you you feel overwhelmed. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe you don't just put it away, but talk to the team and get everybody to commit to helping make that change across the board immediately or keeping with the old. Well, let's take a step back even from that, which is that if you, we need to, we need to question the question. We need, you know, first principles, Clarice, we need to sit back and figure out why do you want to change these idioms in the first place? Is it because you have to type too much code? Because that's not a good reason. Second of all, you know, like you need to figure out why you have these idioms in the first place. Why did we end up in the situation where this is how we call this thing? Why do we do this stuff? And because it's like, those are great questions to ask. The problem is people don't tend to ask them. They tend to immediately go, that's dumb. I have a better way of doing it. And so seek first to understand. You need to like learn the history of the system. Go ask the people who've been around for a while why you do it. Now, this is not 
a excuse for those for those people to then say, well, this is how we've always done it. And I, you know, my my mom cut the end off the roast. So I'm going to do that, too. This is the way we've always done it. That's not a good reason to do anything. Uh, But there's probably history there that you need to understand in order to make any sort of meaningful changes. You need to under and if the system is sufficiently large, there are probably user in like there's probably real use cases that you don't understand yet that you need to understand before you can make a large scale impact to the system, right? So let's start there and start working your way through it. Now, once you've done that, once you have done the due diligence and assuming you have a reasonable team of adults who can all talk to each other like adults and not get defensive about lines of code that they wrote one time mm-hmm. in their lives, you know, and not get attached to those lines of code. Because here's the thing, lines of code there are not go. you. You know, just like be willing. Look, it's it's code. You can rewrite it. It's also probably stored in Git. So like you'll be able to retrieve it. If you just really love that code, you can print it out and put it on your wall. <laughs> It'll be fine. So... Don't get attached to your to your code. It's bits and bytes, y'all. Once you've gone through that process and, and you've got a reasonable team of adults who've all agreed that this isn't the right design approach and you want to try to change it, well, then you got to start peeling the onion. You know, onions are like ogres. They have layers. And you want to start taking that those layers apart until you get down into the, the, the nervous system and start figuring out what is going on. like, And start putting the pieces back together in such a way that like you have a layered system where things are generally reusable. And that design approach may really surprise you. It may, you know, if you're building widgets that take 10 steps, you may realize that the actual thing that you're missing is some unifying abstraction that lives below, not just those widgets, but something else too. Mm -hmm. And that's the place to start, right? You need to start looking at your design holistically and start figuring out the common layers of general abstractions that you can start to build the system out of. What layers could be collapsed? What things can we get rid of? And that's where you start looking at all your red flags. Like, are we duplicating a lot of the same function names across these things? Again, not in a behavioral way, but in a API-driven way. Uh, Do we have, like, do all these things share the same stuff? Okay, well, that's an indicator that those layers could can change. Oftentimes, it is way better to collapse layers together. Can we collapse some of these functions together? What If we collapse these functions, all of a sudden, this module doesn't even need to exist anymore. That's dope. Let's get rid of that thing. And you start going through that system, right? You find the general things that are reusable. Oh, look, there's some protocols in here. We could start to like pull those out. And then you do that. And when you do it, you have to do all of it. Right. Each one of those little steps, you can't just do half of or one of and then leave it for the next person. You need to go in there and just do all of it. And then you start peeling it back. So then you don't take a whole bite out of the whole thing. You don't try to eat the whole elephant. You know, you you just take a smaller step, uh, a smaller design by by doing the process that is called design. Like design isn't about rewriting your code every three weeks. Design is about finding layers like unifying layers of abstraction and peeling things apart so if i'm following you like the the elephant thing is you're it's not take one bite in the one in one place it's take a small bite across all 10 of the spots and then next time around maybe you take another bite out of it but yes if i'm if i'm following you the first thing is understanding the history which includes the why they're currently there what the actual requirements are, performance requirements, usage requirements. I'm going to say business logic just so I can watch you cringe. Um, <laughs> but understanding, yeah, which is to say un- all of it, because it's right, all understanding logic. the whole thing, <laughs> top to bottom, 
questioning people, I, I would say go back and look at at maybe get commit messages. Hopefully there's some some info there. But doing your due diligence before just jumping on wanting to make the change. And then once you want to make the change, planning a direction forward, figuring out a small bite you can take across the board. Right. And I would also say that I would also say to like not fall into the trap of aesthetics. Like design is not about how code looks. Design is not about all of the things that people want design to be about. Which is to say the stuff that's like super trivial, like your linter is not design. (laughs) You know, your formatter choices are not design and like your function names are not design. And, and like, at least like the function names is, I guess, more debatable, but like, I don't know, like that sort of little tiny ticky stuff is not what I'm talking about. And don't fall into the trap of changing a bunch of aesthetics and feeling like you made the system better. Like, let that crap go. Like, like, you know, changing someone's variable name inside of a function because it's like, it reads better to you or it follows some design principle that you hold dear to your heart. That is not, that, that is not what I'm talking about. Like, let that crap go. And don't, you know, and and don't change stuff just because like you feel like it's the right way or Jose said to do it this way or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, or or someone of some authority said to do this. Like you have to look at the real system and make a meaningful change. I think that's really important. I I think programmers tend to fall into the trap of aesthetics and think it's design. So when you're talking about design, do you, are you, are you meaning like at an architecture level, like a higher? I, I think the stuff that matters, the stuff that really, really matters is how your modules call, like your call stack. That stuff is like, that stuff really matters. That makes a very meaningful, like that makes a very meaningful impact on your ability to understand and get reuse out of the different things what, that you're working on. What do you mean your call By stack? By which I mean like, I mean like the, you know, the, as you move down through the different mm-hmm. layers, right? As you call, as each layer calls into the layer below it, that, that call stack, like understanding how that works end to end is more important than whether your function, you know, like has a hundred lines or not. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, like in a big picture, in a big picture sense, like how functions like start to navigate, how do, how do they call into each other? How do things get, how do, how do things get reused? How do uh, certain abstractions get used in the system? Your ability to think and reason about those things and thus also reuse that code mm-hmm. That's super important. That's like top level stuff. I would say that those are not the 10x or the 100x problems. The 100x problems are like, did I understand the business requirements? And also, then did I correctly implement the business <laughs> problem or solution to the business problem rather? And then like the 10x problems are, uh, the, the 10x problem is, you know, how do these modules compose together? How do, this, how do these bags of functions become APIs that are thus reusable in the system so that anybody can extend it and people can add new features and change existing features with minimal overhead. 
that's like the 10x problem. And then like the 1x or 1.1x problem is like how many lines is this function? So I, I've, I've got a question though out of all of this. Um, like I, the 100 lines, whatever, I, I get that. Like that seems kind of arbitrary, but I, I feel like there there's like even a hundred X problem to me, maybe not hundred X, maybe let's go 50. It's between the 10 and hundred to me is, is does the code communicate for the next person who has to maintain it? And so mm-hmm. some of those things like function names matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm it sounded like they don't to you. And so I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, they matter. I'm not saying they don't matter. And it's not like I have a bunch of libraries all with the function name, like foo, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, they matter. I just think on the scale, they don't matter that much. Like they are important. Naming is important. I'm not here to tell you naming is not important. Writing good function names is important. Writing good variable names is important though. There's different schools of thought on how to write fun- how to write mm-hmm. variable names right but this is and that's my point is like that is not those things are like all this stuff is so highly subjective right because it's all taste right um i think the the way that you build reuse into your system the way you communicate intent and the way you make it easy for you, new people to understand the system and to extend it is to have general somewhat reusable layers of abstraction that 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 do in fact layer together well mm-hmm. right so you start at the at the top layer and begin to sort of work your way down and each layer becomes less specific to your concrete problem that you're trying to solve and more generic that's interesting the lower layers become more generic yeah they, they i mean the the once you've gone I mean, you shouldn't have that many layers in your system to begin with. If you have a bunch of layers in your system, that's also an indication that you've goofed somewhere. Uh, three, okay. four, that you control. Mm-hmm. That you control, like by which I mean it's not library code, like things that you actively are working on all the time. Yeah, it's not many. Like, you don't. You don't really want that many. You could probably because you don't need that many. In grand total, you have a lot more because you got a thing that's dealing with TCP connections down there at the bottom, and that's dealing with stuff below that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But you don't control all those things. I mean, in, in the sense of things that you actively work on in your stack. So the the layers are your code, maybe not a library that you use. Or yeah, yeah. And again, this is all my sensibilities about the thing. But yeah, I, I think you don't really want that many in your own. Uh, in in your own system, having a lot of them is an indication that they aren't really divided up so that well, the, and are probably coupled to each other. The more layers that you have, the more time, the more brain power it takes to understanding each change of abstraction. Uh, yeah, and and also it would be an indicator to me, unless your system is just massive, right? Unless unless you're dealing with something that's huge huge you know it would it'd be an indicator to me that you have not built really reusable stuff that would that's what that indicates to me and that's that's the part where you need to step back and figure out like what is the actual unifying abstraction for these things for these five things 
How do I make that generic? And how do I get some amount of reuse out of that? Or how do I collapse this in, you know, how do, how do I make this? How do I build this layer such that I don't need to look at the layers beneath mm-hmm. it? Like once I've built that thing, everybody can just use this. And I know and we don't have to reuse any of that stuff. So how can we how can we reduce the layers in our application is a big architectural decision for you. That's like a okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the stuff that like that's the stuff that will end up in terms of your ability. I mean, I don't know. You need all of this stuff, right? You need all these sort of design ethos things. Like you need all this. And it's not like you pick one or don't, you know, it's not like you pick good abstractions and, and because you picked good abstractions, you take a, you know, you take a negative two to your, to your naming modifier. <laughs> like that's not how it works. You know what I'm saying? Like you can do all of it. <laughs> you actually can just sit and like hold all this stuff in your head, all these good design ideas in your head. I just mean that like, a lot of the stuff people get hung up on is such aesthetical choices that make no meaningful impact. They just like move, they move the the needle horizontally. You know I mean? They move, they don't, they move the ball horizontally down the field instead of actually down the field. Mm-hmm. You're not making any sort of forward progress. You just moved. You just rearranged all the same puzzle pieces and you put them into a different puzzle. And what you actually wanted to do was burn half the puzzle pieces and throw them away and build a di- totally different puzzle. So no, no lateral move. Make sure you're actually moving forward. Yeah. And, and I, you know, aesthetics don't, don't, don't do it for me. Like we need to be look, thinking bigger about the system and yeah, that'll include some name changes probably. And you want to pick meaningful names when you do that. You want to write good docs. You want to like explain how that stuff works to, to people so they can actually look at, look at it and understand it. Anyway, that's, that's the big stuff for me. And at the end of the day, like, I think you want to be collapsing a lot of the layers that you have. Because I don't think those layers are probably buying you a whole lot. Or you want to be finding some other more unified way to talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my general thesis statement. Find a more unified way to discuss your design. Yeah. And then, and then the, the, the discuss it part is important. And, and also be willing to like have people challenge you on those designs, getting back to the, the beginning of this, have be, be ready and willing for people to challenge you on those designs and accept that not everyone is going to have your same design ethos. And then there's a conversation to be had there. And that is, and that will be interesting. And maybe you'll learn a little bit about your team's design ethos and you'll come, you'll, you know, you're probably not looking even to compromise at that point. Compromise isn't really the answer that you want. Because if you are diametrically opposed to someone and and your design ethos are, you know, like so wildly different from each other that you're not really going to compromise. Compromise is just going to make it worse. (laughs) What you instead seek to do, because compromise sort of implies that you're meeting in the middle. And what you actually want to do is just understand each other. And if you can understand each other, then you can at least like make forward progress. I think you've given me a lot to think about. I hope so. You seem very contemplative. I am right now. (laughs) I'm always thinking about how to get people in general to, to do these different things. Uh, And, and then how to do them better myself. So this is a great, great conversation. Although we're at an hour and I have lots yeah. of things to do. And we haven't really said anything 
Interesting. We've not said many words. We've said lots of words with no meaning behind those words. We got about four things. Four things in there, I think, that are good. Yeah, there, there's a couple There's a couple good jokes and a lot of rambling. <laughs> Cruft. And a lot of other things. You got to dig, you got to wade through. Maybe the editors will take care of it and make us sound really smart in like a two-minute episode. Oh, yeah, it'll be one of those breathy NPR podcasts. <laughs> Hello. It'll be like serial where, you know, we just like do a piece on somebody and then basically accuse them of crimes and then with, you know, not get lawyers involved and say, say crimes against code, say things about law when you don't really know anything about law. Yeah, no, it's be good. Sounds awesome. All we need is like a theme song. Yeah. That that play and some bumper music in between. That's like yeah. ominous. Yeah. This yeah. episode is Perfect. brought to you by MailChimp. He's <laughs> not actually a sponsor. No, not a sponsor. Also, but. I have no ill ill feelings towards Mailchimp. I just remember that was one of the ads that was on Serial. I believe so. Yeah, I listened to all of Serial, nice. and I'm not really sure why. I was driving at the time that it was popular quite a bit, and so I listened to all of it. I think I listened to all of Serial. Like like everybody watched season eight of Game of Thrones. Like at some point, you just hate yourself enough to get through it. <laughs> You know, at some point you just admit that you that like you're just willing to, to you're like sunk cost. I got to get through this. A serial felt to me like a soap opera, really. Well, like that's all I was listening except to. It's is real entertainment. People, right. Except it's like real people's right. lives. And it's like a really tragic story. And that's true. And like, I don't know. I got halfway through serial and realized how gross it felt, like how voyeuristic it felt. And I was and I got really kind of grossed out by myself. Thanks. Now you've made me feel terrible about myself. No, <laughs> I don't feel terrible, but yeah, there you go. Making me think about it anyway. Again. <laughs> it's fun to punch up against wildly popular podcasts. Uh, yeah. and, and it's a great way to end our yeah, show. No, that feels right. That like, feels good for us. That feels on brand. Okay. Get yep. us the hell out of here. All right. All right. Chris, nice seeing you today. All right. Later. All right. Bye.